Satan is your enemy. Now, his strategy can be found in three words. Deceive, divide, destroy. Whether it's a nation, whether it's a church, whether it's a family, Satan's busy. That's his purpose, to destroy our testimony, to destroy our life physically, to destroy our finances, destroy our marriage, destroy our families. Now, follow me on this. Satan wants to hurt God, but he can't. He can't hurt God, but he does have access to you, and he can hurt you. And the quickest way to hurt a parent is to hurt his kids. The enemy plays on the weaker parts of our flesh, and he does everything that he can to keep us from being fully committed to God and serving God. The devil doesn't want you worshiping God. So listen, he's given us a whole plate full of stuff to get our attention away from God. I am convinced that Satan's intervention plan today is to keep God's people so busy with the things of this world that they have no time to devote to their spiritual lives. Sometimes being busy, B-U-S-Y, just means being under Satan's yoke. If Satan can encourage us to get our lives so full of other things that we have no time for God, he has begun his work in us. Here's what you need to understand about the nature of the devil. He's an opportunist. When you're the weakest, he's the most evil. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. And he uses the same tactics he used in the garden. You'd think by now we'd have caught on. The devil is a liar, the father of lies. He has carefully studied each one of us for a very long time. But I guess my point is, and my question to you is, how long have you studied him? If we do not know our enemy, we do not have much of a chance to be victorious over our enemy. Good morning. What they said. My name is Pastor Eric Norris. I guess now I'm the pastor of everything or anything. Um, is a, I don't know what my title is officially, but today it's uh, the pastor that will be preaching. So welcome. We're glad that you're here. Those that have joined us online, we're glad that you're here. Um, just to remind you, there's a Connect card, and there's a place for you if you're a guest with us today to fill out your information. We'd love to connect with you, get to know uh, more about you. Um, there's a place for prayer requests and then notes on the back. If you want to take notes, you'll have to stay awake because I didn't do the pre-can notes this week. You just have to kind of keep up on your own. We are glad that you're here. I wanted to start by reminding you of two important things. One is there's freedom in the house of the Lord. And we are in the house of the Lord this morning. And one of the freedoms we have as Christians is to vote and just remind you that uh, you are now able to vote. So take advantage of that freedom as well um, and, uh, and to go vote. So last week, we began a series on spiritual warfare called This Means War. And Brian, Pastor Brian set the stage by reminding us that there's an invisible world, and in this invisible world, there's an invisible war. And this war takes place in the heavenlies. It's a war that's unseen by you and I, but it impacts our lives significantly. It's a battle that has eternal consequences. It's a battle 
for your soul and my soul. That's what spiritual warfare is. And Brian mentioned that today's church, we, we tend to be moving away from orthodoxy. And just to define orthodoxy, that's that, that, that belief that churches have long held about who God is, who the Holy Spirit is, and who Jesus is. And as we've moved away from orthodoxy, we've adopted this idea that uh, we no longer talk about being Christians. We are spiritual beings or spirituality. And so what that has done is it's began to dumb down this whole idea of evil, of what evil is, of who the devil is. It blurs the lines and it wipes all that stuff out to a point where today many of us aren't even sure what's good and evil. That's spiritual warfare. You know, um, I have an awesome privilege. I have six siblings. And... This year, we started reading the chronological Bible together, and every Friday night, we have a family discussion. That's awesome. I mean, four of my siblings, every Friday night, we get together for, if you'd have told me 10 years ago that would happen, I'd have said, it's impossible. I should have known nothing is impossible with God. But one of the things that we've uh, been reading are are the gospel accounts of, of person after person where it talks about they were possessed and Jesus cast out their demons. And so the question came up in our discussion, were were there really that many demon-possessed people? Or was it just that every time somebody sneezed or contacted a disease or were mentally ill, they just assumed they were possessed? Now, I wasn't there. So I'm not an expert on what was really taking place. I do know this. If the Bible says they were possessed, I'm going to take the Bible for what it says. They were possessed. Now, having said that, you know, do I believe that there are possessed people today? Yes, I do. But I also need to say that not everyone that's sick or has a mental challenge is possessed. I know that there are reasons, there are chemical imbalances and medical reasons and abuse and pain. All of that can cause a variety of things. It doesn't mean you're possessed. But I do believe that it's a part of the spiritual battle that we face today. And I know that we have an enemy who is very real. And he exists for one purpose, to kill, steal, and destroy. And whether we like to play like he doesn't exist, the truth is he does. We simply cannot ignore his work in our world and in our lives. And folks, this is his territory. And as long as we are here We're going to be in this spiritual battle because we have an enemy who is very real. And the truth is, all of creation waits for this to end. In Romans chapter 8, it it says in verse 19, For all of creation is waiting eagerly for for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope. This creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. So this spiritual battle not only impacts us, it impacts the whole world around us and all of creation. That's the battle we're in. And so when we talk about this enemy, when we talk about the devil, it conjures up thoughts and pictures of what he looks like and who he is. And I mentioned, you know, our entertainment is filled with this concept. I mean, there have been movies on heaven and hell and God and the devil, and it's the time of year when we get to watch all those, those movies. Pastor Brian confessed that he's kind of a fan of some of those. I'm going to tell you, I am not. 
In fact, I made up my mind a long time ago, if I want to wet my pants, I'll just lick a light socket. That's all it will take. I don't need to watch something to get that effect. So I don't recommend you try that at home. It's not a good idea. But that's just not me. But we've seen God played by George Burns. Remember that old movie? Morgan Freeman. We've seen Jack Nicholson and Al Pacino play the devil. So what does he look like? Well, George Clooney made it simple for us. He tells us exactly what the devil looks like in this clip. You folks going past Tishmingo. Sure, hop in. How you doing, son? Name's Everett. Thank you for the lift, sir. My name's Tommy. Tommy Johnson. How you doing, Tommy? Say, I haven't seen a house out here for miles. What are you doing out in the middle of nowhere? Well, I had to be at that there crossroads last midnight. Sell my soul to the devil. Well, ain't it a small world, spiritually speaking? Pete and Delmer just been baptized and saved. I guess I'm the only one that remains unaffiliated. This ain't no laughing matter, Everett. What'd the devil give you for your soul, Tommy? Well, he taught me to play this here guitar real good. Oh, son, for that you traded your everlasting soul? Well, I wouldn't use me. I've always wondered, what's the devil look like? Well, of course, there are all manner of lesser imps and demons, Pete, but the great Satan himself is red and scaly with a bifurcated tail. He carries a hay for <laughs> So George must have watched the same cartoons I watched when I was growing up because here's the picture when I think of the devil that comes up in my mind. And so, you know, I'm not sure if that's what the devil looks like or not. Uh, but I know that Jesus mentions him 25 times in, when he's on the earth. I know that he's all found all through Scripture. I know that, he was, that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by this accuser. I know that he has many names. He's called the accuser of the brethren, the prince of the power of the air, the serpent, the devil, the evil one, Lucifer, which means son of the morning star, Beelzebub, which means lord of the flies, the tempter, the prince of this world. But no matter what you call him, the end result is the same. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And so anytime we talk about war, there must be an enemy. And if we are in a spiritual battle or spiritual warfare, then we have an enemy. And so my, my task today is a simple one. It's to give you an understanding of who the devil is and what he's about. Simple, right? So here's where I'll start. I will start by telling you that he is a covert enemy and his ways are covert. So what does that mean? Well, in military terms, a covert operation is a military operation intended to conceal the identity of the party that instigated the operation. Covert, covert operations aim to secretly fulfill the mission objective without anyone knowing who sponsored or carried out the, uh, who carried out the operation. That sounds a lot like how the devil works, doesn't it? So here's an example. I'm, I'm kind of a history nut or history buff. I love Revolutionary War to the Civil War. I love Western history. And so in the Revolutionary War, when they were ready to fight a battle, they would, here's how it worked. So we were fighting the British, uh, and we would designate what time the battle was to start. We'd find this open battlefield, and at the designated time, both armies would meet. 
they would face each other, and when that, then when somebody said go, I guess, they just started shooting. Now, I don't know who thought that was a good idea. I wouldn't want to have been there, especially the guy in the front row. But that's the way that it worked. But we changed up things as American colonists. We had adopted guerrilla warfare tactics. And what that meant is we didn't just meet in the open battlefield. We used to hide in the trees and the brush. And so you couldn't see. It was more covert operation. And so covert simply means it's a hidden tactic. The, the British had a hard time adjusting to those ways, which worked in our benefit. So this morning, as we talk about our enemy, it's important to know that he is a covert enemy and he uses a covert style of spiritual warfare. And so what does that mean? Well, for the purpose of our discussion, we're going to look at two passages of scriptures to understand some things about the devil. We're going to start with Genesis chapter 3. And so turn to Genesis chapter 3, if you would, in your Bible. And in Genesis chapter 3, we read this. It's an account you're familiar with. It reads like this. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Eve, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any tree in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it or you, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. So let me make some observations from this passage about the devil and how he works. First of all, he appears in whatever form best suits his needs. So contrary to George Clooney's description of this red creature with a forked tail and, and a pitchfork, it probably doesn't work like that in real life. I don't know about you, but if some dude in a fire red suit with red eyes and a forked tongue and a pitchfork showed up and wanted to talk fruit with me, I'm not having it. If he showed up at McDonald's, we could talk. The devil takes on whatever form he needs to get into our lives. He becomes those things that, that we struggle with. Most of us don't like snakes. We run from snakes, right? And so if the devil was, you know, was that stupid to show up like a snake all the time, we wouldn't be anywhere around. He takes on forms that, that adhere to who we are. Snakes didn't start crawling on their belly and get ugly till after the curse, you realize. And so the snake that encounters Eve is probably not this, this creature that we envision. It says he was crafty and cunning and shrewd. That makes dealing with the devil difficult because we're not sure what he looks like or who he is when he shows up. He appears in whatever form best suits his need. In... We also read in, in verse 1 that he entices us to sin by twisting the truth. Now, Satan's question of Eve and her response is interesting to me because at this point in time, there had been no death. 
God's creation was perfect. Nothing had died. And yet in this dialogue, we get this conversation about, should you eat the fruit? Well, God said, if I do, I'll die. And so I really, under, I really don't understand, you know, what Eve was thinking. What I'm probably sure, but she didn't understand the extent of what this death meant, this eternal separation, this, this being like God. Satan had tried that. It didn't work. It got him cast out of heaven. And so he uses this, he entices us to sin by twisting the truth. You surely won't die. You'll just be like God. And that's the way that, that Satan works in our lives. He takes those little bits of almost truth and he twists them around so that they almost become appealing to us. And so we bite. The third observation I make in, in, from this in verse 6 is that he makes sin look good. You know, we're not really ever told that it was an apple. We just always kind of, when we talk about this story, we use the apple as, a, as an example. But he makes whatever it is look good. You pick whatever fruit you want and, and insert it into this picture. That's one of Satan's oldest tactics, is he takes those things in our lives that God says isn't good, and he makes them look good. And all of a sudden, the things that, that God says stay away from, we're reaching for. Because they look good. Satan has a way of taking that and making that sin look good. And then, before we know it, he's tied our emotions, our desires, and yes, even our needs to whatever that is. And now, what God says isn't good, we've made the decision to go down that path. The fourth observation I would make from this passage in verse 6 is that he approaches us when we're the most vulnerable. Now, I'm going to take some interpretive liberty here to make this point. From this dialogue, I'm assuming that it probably took place near the tree. I'm also going to assume that Eve must have been hungry at the time. She's standing here looking at whatever fruit this is. And Satan takes this opportunity when she's most vulnerable and sin is within reach to come up and engage her in this chat. And that's the way Satan works in our lives, is he takes those points when we're most vulnerable. And you know what? The truth is, we all know those points in our lives, most of us. We know those weaknesses and those times that we are the most vulnerable. And Satan takes those opportunities. What's interesting here is that Adam, we're told, is with her. So why didn't Adam stand up? I'm assuming he was probably thinking about his tea time at 10 o'clock. I don't know. You know, guys are kind of like this anyway. But here's Eve. She has a partner right here, and yet she faces this when she's vulnerable. What I do know is that Adam took a bite. So he's not removed from this vulnerability and this sin. And I further know that sin is toxic, and it spreads. So when we make those decisions, when we take those things that, that Satan has twisted to look good, and we end up taking a bite of whatever that is, it not only impacts me, it impacts the world around me, my family and my friends, because sin is toxic. toxic. And I know these things to be true in my life. When I'm alone, when I'm yearning for something, that's when I'm the most vulnerable. I don't eat a whole lot of apples, apple, so standing under a tree is not going to do it for me. But Satan knows what does it for me. And he uses that. And he slithers right on up. 
and he whispers a few lies, and he twists the truth just a little bit, and before long, sin is looking good, and my life is changed. There's another encounter I want to look at from Scripture this morning to extract some things about this devil, this covert enemy. And it's probably the most interesting interaction with the devil in all of Scripture. It's the story of Job. And in Job, we learn in the first six verses that Job is a righteous man, that he's the devout man, and he spends a lot of his life trying to point his family and friends to God because he's a righteous man. And most of you are familiar with Job's story, and if not, I would encourage you to read that this week to get reacquainted with it. But when we're reading about Job's struggles, it's easy to get lost in the suffering, isn't it? It's easy to get lost in these pathetic friends he has that are trying to convince him how evil he is and his suffering and his loss, and we forget how the story begins. So let me remind you this morning how the story begins in Job chapter 1, verse 6. One day, members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, that's about all you need to know, by the way, the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I've been patrolling all the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. That's what I want on my tombstone someday. Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You've made him prosper in in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take everything he has. He will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. So here's that battle behind the battle. So we get caught up over here in Job's story about all of this loss and suffering, and we forget that there's a spiritual battle taking place way before that happens. That's the battle we're talking about. And so before we get into some observations about the devil from this account, I want to make sure we get a sense of the spiritual battle that is about to take place. Folks, this battle for Job is very real. The persecution he faces from his friends is very real. The hurt and the pain and the loss are very real. And you may be facing some of those very things. Now, you probably haven't lost your 10 kids, 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels. But for you, whatever you face is very real. That doesn't negate, spiritual warfare doesn't negate the fact that those things are real. But yet in that hurt, you and I make choices. And that choice comes down to to the choice that Job's wife tries to convince him of, just curse God and die. Or to honor God and stay away from evil. And so this spiritual battle for our soul causes the hurt and pain and it brings us to that point of decision. What am I going to do? That's what Job's story is about. It's about this spiritual warfare for his soul. This battle. And from this, let me make five, give you five truths about the devil. First of all, in verse 6, he's accountable to God, as all of creation is. <clears throat> you see, he's a created being, just like you and I. 
there's a certain level of peace that comes in knowing that in the end, the devil gets what he deserves. He's cast out of heaven. He goes to the lake of fire, and he's eternally separated from all that is good and God. There's some peace in knowing that, but in the meantime, we're in the battle. We're in the battle. It also reminds us that heaven is real, but hell is also a real place. The second observation I want to make is, is that he is not omnipresent. He can only be in one place at one time in verses 6 and 7. So why is that significant when it comes to understanding the devil? Because it's a reminder. It's a reminder that God is omnipresent. Psalm 91, one of my favorite psalms, the question is asked, where can I go from your presence? If I go as high as I can go or lowest I can go or far as the east and far as the west, where can I go? And you know what the answer is? Nowhere. Because wherever I am, he is. I can't escape his presence. Now, Satan has a vast army, and they're at work in vast number of ways, but that's nothing compared to the God who is ever-present. And with us, because the Holy Spirit lives in us, God is ever-present within me. Satan is not omniscient or omnipresent. God is. The third observation I want to make in verse 9 through 11 is that he's not omniscient. He didn't know the outcome of, of Job's story. God did. Can you imagine the smirk on God's face? You see, because God sees the end of the story. Satan doesn't know how this ends. Folks, we know the end of the story. We know how it ends. Satan does not. Now, that's not always good news for us because that means that he's going to keep on trying, doesn't it? It means that we're, in this life, there will be struggles. Because Satan doesn't give up. You saw from the video that, the, that Satan's intent is to destroy God. And the best way to do that is through his children. As parents, you know what that's like, right? When your children, somebody attacks your children, that gets your ire out. And so Satan's in this, this never-ending battle to try to, to get to us. But folks, we know how the story ends. The fourth observation I want to make is a very important one in verse 12. The devil can only do what God permits. Even in these times when it seems like the world is bonkers, when, over, when evil is overcoming good, nothing can be further from the truth. Listen to me. Nothing in this world happens outside of the scope of God's understanding and control. Nothing in your life happens without the knowledge of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 gives us this wonderful promise. He won't allow us to be tempted more than what? More than we're able to bear. Nothing happens outside of God's permission. Satan can only do what God permits. Now, being in this spiritual battle means that there will be attacks. And folks, can I just, I hate to do this, but can I just warn you of something? Anytime you begin to expose a covert enemy like the devil, he wakes up. And so just expect in the weeks ahead, you know, be prepared. Because when he's no longer be able to work in secret and he's exposed, then those attacks might come. I don't mean to scare you, just be prepared. We're going to talk about how to be prepared in just a moment. The fifth observation I want to make from verse 12 
is that he is not omnipotent, omnipotent or all-powerful. And this is the best truth of all. See, I love how the book of Job ends. And I'm not talking about him getting everything back. God eventually restores his family, his camels, his sheep, his donkeys, and all that. I'm talking about when God shows up. You see, for 36 chapters or so, his friends are trying to convince him how evil he is. And Job kind of gets caught up in the arrogance. And he wants an audience with God to justify himself. And so there's this dialogue back and forth. And then in chapter 38, God shows up. And he says, Job... Where were you? And then he spends three chapters reminding Job of how he created this world, how he created us and everything in this world. God is all-powerful. Then in verse 42, in chapter 42, verse 1, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that no one can stop you, Lord, and I was talking about things I knew nothing about, Things too wonderful for me to understand. You see, there are times in life when life doesn't feel good. There are times when it seems like the accuser is winning. You may have friends and family who are in dialogue with you about your life. But brothers and sisters, we're children of Almighty God. He is in control. He's very near. He's all-powerful. His ways are better and beyond anything we can comprehend. His word is full of promises, and he's incapable of breaking those promises. So despite all the covert antics of the devil, in the end, he loses, we win. A little louder. In the end, he loses, and we win. That's what I like. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, there's this wonderful verse that says, But you belong to God, my dear children. That's you and me. You have already won a victory because the Spirit who lives where? In me is greater than he that lives in the world. What a wonderful promise. Reminds me that in the end, I win. Will there be battles along the way? There will. So, how do we engage this covert enemy? Well, if Big Bird were here, he would say the rest of the story is brought to you by the letter D. Don't deal with the devil. Focus on drawing near to God. In James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, we read this. It says... It says this. So, humble yourselves before God... Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Folks, when we're in this battle, there are some things you can do. There's some action steps. First of all, resist the devil and he what? He, he will flee. Then draw near to God and what happens? He draws near to you. So there are some things you can do. Don't deal with the devil Focus on the all-powerful, omnipotent, omniscient God, the creator of all. So I briefly mentioned this encounter Jesus has with Satan when he's tempted in the wilderness. And true to form, Satan uses those tactics. The video said he's, he never learns. He's still using the same tactics. He, he tries to, to tempt Jesus with his physical needs and wealth and power. Let me ask you a question. How does Jesus respond? Man shall not live by... Bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
That's what we need to adopt. We need to be so filled with truth that there's no room for lies. When I used to pastor regularly and I'd counsel people, I used to, to be a firm believer in red flag verses. You know what a red flag verse is? It's a verse that you know by heart that stands against those vulnerable times when Satan comes, Satan comes and whispers. For instance, if you struggle with greed, you should have memorized, don't store up your treasures on earth where rust and moth corrupt, but store your treasures in heaven. Those are red flag verses. So in those areas of your life where you struggle, find a verse that speaks to that truth and memorize it. Don't deal with the devil. Here's the second D. Don't give the devil his due. You know, typically we respond to the whole idea of evil and devil in two ways. There are some people who look for a devil under every rock. And every single thing in life is somehow tied to the devil. And they spend so much time dealing with the devil, they live their lives in fear when they could be spending their time on spiritual growth. The second group of people are those who think it's not real. It's just something that's made up. The devil loves this because it gives him the freedom to operate without interference. I would encourage you to spend your time acknowledging God's word and his control in your life and don't give the devil his due. Don't spend, waste time that you, could be waste, that you could be investing in your spiritual growth. Number three, don't discount the devil's demise. Here's the best one of all. Revelation 12, verses 7 and 9, we read this. There was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven this great dragon, the ancient serpent called what? The devil or Satan. The one deceiving the whole world was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. I have news for you this morning, and I hope it's not new news again. We win. There's a spiritual battle going on, but we win. Life is full of battles, but we win. That's the good news this morning. Is the devil real? Absolutely. Is he after your soul? Absolutely. Will he get it? Not if we turn our face toward the one who overcomes. Greater is he who is in me than he is in the world. So as we ended our time today, and last week Pastor Brian uh, talked about gearing up, about that armor that we find in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, 11, we read about that. It says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the covert dealings of the devil. So this morning, let me give you a couple of pieces of armor to put on. First of all, in chapter 6, verse 14, stand your ground, put on the belt of truth. You know, the belt in this armor, in this Roman armor, was perhaps the, the most important part of the armor. You know why? Because it supported everything else. It supported the body armor up top that protects your internal organs. Without the belt, you couldn't have the rest of the armor. It also held the sheath where you kept the sword. The next piece of armor in verse 17, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know, the sword is interesting because in all of the armor mentioned, it's the only offensive weapon. The rest of it protects me from these outside darts. But folks, that sword is an offensive weapon. 
And church, it's time that we got offensive. It's time that we took up the sword and stood our ground, standing on the word of truth, that belt, and being ready to fight the battle. You know, the other interesting thing about armor, it only protected your front side. If you turned your back to the battle, you were exposed. So we need to face this battle that we're in. We need to stand sword in hand, word of truth, and we need to fight the battle. That's the power that we have through the living God. So, I hope this morning that I've said something, maybe to stir you up a little bit. I want to encourage you, as I mentioned before, be ready. If you're in a battle, let us know. There's a place here for prayer requests. We'd love to to hold you up in prayer, to fight the battle with you. We're doing a weekly podcast. And so if you have a question about anything you've heard, we encourage you to, to put your questions down. You might include a way to contact you because we want to make sure we get an answer. We don't have time to answer them all in the podcast, but we want to try to answer questions you have. Take the opportunity uh, to put your questions here. And so this morning, as we prepare for offering, uh, let's, uh, we're going to close in prayer. Our offering this morning is total surrender. It's standing firm on the word of truth. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning we stand in your presence knowing that you are here. We know that where you are present, Satan cannot be. And so, Lord, we want to be ever in your presence. We want to draw near to you. So, Father, we need your help to do that this morning. And we present our lives as that living sacrifice. Lord, we know that there's a battle for our souls that has eternal consequence. But further, we know that Jesus won the victory when he rose from the dead. Father, help us to stand on that truth. Father, also take our offerings, our gifts uh, that you've first given us, and we ask that you would take those and use them to build your kingdom. Help your church to raise up, Father, in this battle to be a beacon of truth and light. In Jesus' name, amen.